Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 32 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. There is quite a bit of discussion that goes into when it's appropriate to value a practice. It's a very hot topic. And it's oftentimes the first thought when someone's trying to buy or you're trying to sell a practice. But the timing of when you value a practice really matters And it's important that both sides understand that that number will always seem off. You are two people with conflicting wishes, and that's okay. But as we always say, let's come prepared with information, remove some of the emotion, and let's talk about when to value the practice. Mr. Loretto, how are you? So good to see you. I know. It's been so long. Yes, I have been on the road. I know. (laughs) I've been on the road some of the Yeah, we did. We did a little Hawaii trip together. That was super fun. But yeah, I went to California. went to Utah, just got back from California yesterday. So it has been the frequent flyer miles are packed in here this October. So, but most importantly was my trip to Mexico. I know. Roxanne, she, happy, place. happy place. So I started thinking about too, that I was passionate about my hot sauce, which is, you know, kind of my Mexican hot sauce. So I think I have something to do. <laughs> I just love me some Mexico. <laughs> went down to Cancun and a place called Grand Velas. And it is by far just an amazing, resort. So if you get a chance to check out Grand Velas, it's got a special place in my heart. I just, I love the culture. I love the people. It makes me happy. It sounds dreamy. <laughs> I also had a dreamy vacation. My husband and I, Chris, we don't go on a lot of solo vacations, but I boondoggled off of a speaking engagement in San Fran and went to Half Moon Bay to celebrate our 12 year anniversary. It was so fun. And no one called me mom for 72 hours. And High roller, Ritz Carlton. Huh? Uh, this is I how- didn't say that. <laughs> but yeah, it was nice. Oh my gosh. We read a paper at breakfast and yeah. the waitress was like, you're reading a real paper? And I'm like, yeah, just because I can. And like, I can sit here as long as I want and drink hot coffee and it's fantastic. So, so it's amazing. Roxanne and I went to that same Half Moon Bay Ritz-Carlton. We just went for lunch there. And then when they found out that we were getting married in the upcoming days, now this is all over a year ago, they like comped our breakfast and brought us some champagne. They were so nice. We yeah. said we were celebrating our anniversary and they upgraded our room and they yeah. gave us free champagne and yeah. you know yeah. so it makes eight dollar champagne free 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 hey, <laughs> I'll take it at the Ritz Carlton eight dollars is like twenty eight dollars that's so. so true so true <laughs> okay let's jump into this topic so I feel like whenever we get a buyer who's calling us or someone who's looking and just starting to think about transitioning clearly the price or the value is always kind of at the forefront of the emotion of this transaction and it should be I totally understand that I mean it's a lot and you're trying to place a value on something that really is, if you've built something, it's super hard to do that. And we all know that. I first want to talk about when you have someone who's joining your practice and the intent is that that person is going to buy in, right? So I'm going to focus on partnerships first. That is probably, I think, the most important time to understand when you're going to value it from both sides of the coin so that there's no miscommunication. We know what's happening up front. And there is always conflicting ideals about when that value should happen. So we get associates. I mean, the thing that we hear the most is like, I'm going to buy back my production. And the seller always thinks it needs to be later than the buyer thinks it needs to be. But we think that there is a time. We think there's a compromise. We think there's some time in the middle that makes sense to value it when that associate is coming on board and they are going to be a partner within a certain amount of time. Yeah. And it's fun when we lecture together on this topic with partnerships and valuations, 
it is so fun because we'll have young people in the audience or little cute little D2s or 3s. And then we've got old guy in the room that's in his 60s It worked really hard and growing their practice, you know, and at the Rotary Club and, you know, all this other crap. And, uh, and so... I like to be the old guy, and then, of course, I make you the young, cute girl, you know. But what's interesting is that, of course, all these little Facebook groups, you know, they're always talking about, when should I value the practice? And every single one is, make sure you value it before you get there so you don't build your own practice. It's honestly, some of that stuff is just crazy. It just it doesn't make sense. If I am an owner and I am the senior guy, senior gal, I have significant risk to bring you on. Yes. And I'm going to invest a significant amount in you. And so you have to always look at what the investment is going to be on the owner. And the owner is going to change the brand. He's going to introduce, you know, maybe 2,000 patients to you. There's going to be marketing updates and changes. There's going to be maybe we're going to add an assistant in. And, and we talked about this, I know, in the previous episode as far as like the break-even. But this would be the yeah, break-even. Episode cal- 10. Episode 10? 10. Okay, excellent. So this would be where we need to just formulate a plan before we just value this business because now i got to invest in the valuation. What if you don't work out? Well, there's eight grand out the door. What if we value it before and we don't take any consideration into all these investments that we're going to make in the practice? So that wouldn't make sense. So, But I don't think that it's fair, too, that the associate is in the practice for, let's say, five years and let's value it later because, of right. course, now we've got... 10 rotations of hygiene patients rotating through the associate and maybe the practice has doubled at that point. No, there has to be something that is certainly it's fair and there has to be a compromise. Yeah. And I think that that's a very common misconception with the break-even point. Like your senior doctor is not taking home bags of money at night from you when right. you start in the practice after right. a few months, right? Like there is more cost to you than the 30% you're making off of whatever you're doing or whatever your associate comp is. So we generally like to say, I'm going to use, let's say you come into the practice and and the goal is that you're going to buy in after 24 months. Generally, we say somewhere in that 12 to 18 months yes. is when you're going to value the practice. It's long enough for you guys to know you like each other, right? You've dated long enough to know that, yes, this is going to work out. You've probably, the senior doctors probably, some of the cost of you entering the practice have probably kind of started to settle off. And there's been some profit that the doctor's probably been able to make from you, which again, we think is fair. But again, it really depends on what your plan is, right? Like if you're only going to be there a year before you buy in, well, then maybe it is that 12 month mark where they value it. Maybe you're going to be there three or four years because you're straight out of school and it's the two year mark, right? So we have to understand again, and we'll say this a lot during this episode, it is the value matters when you value it matters, but the transition plan and what you talk about and what you agree upon based on your situation matters a heck of a lot more. Yeah. So an example there would be is, okay, let's value it before you got there. If you, if you rolled that dice and said, okay, I got it before, so I'm a winner. And you did a hundred percent of the work. You worked at the practice a hundred percent of the time and you only got a chance to buy in for 25%. And that was going to be over the next four years, you've maybe bought out the other 25%. So in that example, it's not about the value and the price, it's the structure. Yeah. I don't know if you can hear this, but there's construction daily. I feel like someone's going to fall on my head. So we're really high class here, just in case you can hear that. So anyway. Focus, Christy, focus. I know, sorry. (laughs) All day. Uh, So there are exceptions to this, what we've just talked about, right? There's exceptions to that general rule of typically, if you're going to come into the practice, let's talk about the valuation time. You know, we're going to go over a few of these. 
One of them is if you, as an associate, maybe you've been out, you're established, you can do some production, maybe you have a unique skill. Maybe you do implants and the practice you're going to doesn't do implants, they refer it out, you're going to be able to keep all that in. That may be a case where we would talk about valuing it when you get there versus 12 to 18 months after. There are other examples, maybe you're buying it in a short amount of time. Maybe you're coming in and because maybe the seller's plans, they want to be an owner for another year or two years or three years, so it's more of like a staggered sale or you need a little bit of experience if you're going to buy the practice in a short amount of time so anything other than a long-term partnership it may make sense to value it in the beginning we have two of these going on right now one is a staggered sale over four or five years one is d4 graduated came into the practice we set the price when he started versus kind of waiting and getting updated numbers because he's going to buy it out the associate is the seller's transition plan to get 100 out of the practice those couple of instances make sense. Um, and there's a couple more based on, and I know you have some experience with this when someone's in high demand. Yeah. So that was a letter campaign that worked as well. Yes, I just was. met somebody yesterday that the campaign worked as well. The same thing. So the D4 is planning to purchase out of the gate. This happens to be a D3. And so his plan was going back to this area, the mill campaign worked. We're going to figure out how to get him in the practice, establish everything out of the gate, and then have him become the owner probably within six to nine months, just like the one that you're working on up in Virginia. So the way I like to look at this when the situation, we're definitely going to value the business before you get there. There has to be something unique about you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Uh, and they give an extreme where oral surgeons, so oral surgeons are extremely high in demand. And so would you say all oral surgeon practices you should value before you get there? Well, not necessarily. You know, one example would be in Plano, Texas, where we live, is somebody's graduated from Baylor and it's a big practice, three or four doctor practice, more than likely an oral surgery practice is not going to value before they get there. They're going to work as the associate, the traditional model. Maybe a surgeon's going to make 250 or something as a base, so I have an incentive, and they're going to value it maybe 12, 18, even 24 months after they get there. The same example from the Baylor oral surgeon that graduates and is now going to go to a rural area of Ohio, absolutely we're going to value. We want to know exactly what that price is going to be before we get there because we do see in those situations where they're super high in demand, probably the surgeon can only do so much, that practice could probably double the next two years if they're hanging out. It just has to do with not just the specialty, but the situation itself is what that person is bringing to the table. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that, again, value, transition, plan, your unique situation, and communicating that up front. Unfortunately, there are times when that value is not determined up front, or yep. the timeline is not determined up front. And it may be because you joined a practice and you didn't know if you were going to get a chance to buy right. it. We talk to people, we review associate agreements, complimentary, and our first question always is, what is your plan with this practice? Is this an associate agreement that's going to turn into ownership, or is this just an associate agreement because you need a role while you're waiting someone to graduate, or you're testing out a state, or whatever it might be? If you do not set a timeline for evaluation and let's say you work there three or four years and then the opportunity to buy in occurs, you will likely value the practice at that time, right? And we get people all the time that say, oh, but man, like I've been here four years. Right. And what do we say? The point is you guys didn't discuss it, you know, and you just can't go and revert back and say, well, I wish we would have done this. But the point is you didn't do that. Now you're in the situation 
I can think of a practice here locally that was doing like a million three. Then when they called, they was doing like two eight. And yeah, 100% mm-hmm. that the fact that she helped grow that practice, 100%. She is the reason it's doing two eight. But they didn't have anything in writing and they didn't discuss it. And it's four or five years later. It's pretty hard to go back and just say. So that's one of those situations where you definitely want to have that relationship with that doctor and say, what can we do at this point and be fair? So those are going to be some language skills that we'd want to assist with. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. So I see this all the time about the whole valuation before. And so I know that you're the key person that does all these valuations. And so can you walk me through the math? So when we do these valuations, we do this income approach. And so I just want to try to show our listeners how insignificant maybe that the practice value would be if we valued it after a year. Okay. So I know the income approach, what we do is we do kind of like the last three years, mm-hmm. maybe the last three years, like a million, million, million. And let's just say that that associate now in the practice, it grows. And let's say it grew to like a million, two, or even a million, three, like it grew 30% in the one year. How much do you think that that is going to impact the overall valuation? Maybe it was 80% of collections before. So let's just say that we were tracking maybe an 800 mark. But now that we've got a million two or a million three, is that like a, maybe an 850 or something, maybe higher value? I honestly, and this is exactly where I was going, you have to remember that we don't just look at the last year. Right. We're looking at all three of those years. So in that example, let's say it was 800, 800. When if it had done a million, it was going to value at 800. But now we're at 1.2 million in that final year. It probably is going to be maybe 820, maybe 825, depending on let's, the risk. Let's say 850. Let's go high. Let's go high. 850, 870. Here's what I want the young person to know. Is senior doctor invested way more than $50,000 for this to work? Maybe you're doing implants. Who bought the implant setup? Who updated the technology? Who got the assistant? Over that, who changed the market? Who took the risk? for this to work. And so let's just say it went up to 850. Okay, how much are you buying in? So if you're going to buy in half, for example, I'm just going to be a partnership, that would be instead of 400 to be 425, $25,000. Nothing. It's nothing. nothing so we don't we don't draw the line in the sand on sometimes of these deals because a Facebook group told you that you must 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 value the practice before so it drives me crazy. Yeah, I know. And we don't do that because we look at that $25,000 and we're not saying $25,000 is chump change. $25,000 is $25,000 and we get that. We're comparing the $25,000 to the ownership cash flows that you're going to get by being a 25% owner in that business. And that comparison that could be, if we say you make double the money as an owner, you know, what if we go to two to 300 to 400,000? Are we willing to give up that additional cash flow for the $25,000 of purchase price, which is now debt service talking insignificant numbers. So I think that's really important. I think it's an important point to know whether or not we didn't have a date set for the value, whether we do have a date set for the value that that the income approach which we use, and if we're not the person doing your valuation that anyone should use, you should never just take that last year. You should always be averaging it with the previous years, which oftentimes then does give you credit as a buyer or as yes. an associate for coming in and helping build because we're not just taking the highest best year and slapping a value on it. I think I think also when we talk about associates who enter and there's not this valuation date, sometimes I will work with sellers who will acknowledge that and who will say, I understand that Sarah has been with me for five or six years, so I want to value the practice today because I want to show her 
what it is worth today, but I plan on giving her some kind of concession. Yes. And that's super, super nice. It should not be expected of a buyer. Right. It should be completely appreciated if it's given, but it's not something that, you know, and sometimes I talk with buyers and they have that feeling like I've been here for so long and I wish they would give me something. I think that that's just the wrong emotion to go into the deal with because you're already coming at it from maybe a resentful place versus kind of just knowing like, hey, this was kind of my bad a little bit too of not talking about this up front and it is what it is now and I've got to move on rather than kind of stew and what could have been historically. So just a little therapist. (laughs) Another thing that I wanted to talk about today is, and it's because I've seen quite a bit of it recently in our valuations that we've been doing. Sellers, if you, and this is really focused more on the sellers, but I think buyers understanding how this could impact you as well if you're in this situation. When we have a practice that expands quickly or expands in a given year, that could be adding on ops and taking over additional space, that could be building an additional satellite office, that could be acquiring another practice and merging it together. When we do that, oftentimes you'll see huge boosts in collections and production, right? You'll oftentimes always also see expenses related to that. What I've seen recently is sellers who are valuing their practices too soon after one of those big events Mm -hmm. or big investments. And the reason why is because if you remember, if we use the income approach, we're not just using the most recent year, we're merging it and kind of averaging it with the previous years. So that one year of growth isn't enough to earn back probably the investment that they've made. The latest example we had, they invested roughly $550,000 in an expansion. Right. Their profitability really only went up like 100K, right? You could see the production, you could see the collection boost, you could see that the growth is going to be there over the next two or three years, but there just isn't enough time in the period we have to look at for evaluation in order for that seller to reap that return. And so what we did is we do this valuation and the number comes back and it's really not great. I mean, it's good if you look at it comparatively to the previous older years, but the newest year, you know, the most recent year. So what we had to do is we basically said, hey, here's your value. But really to understand the true value, you need to add on what you invested. So we took a value, added on that 550, and then that's what the buyer ended up taking as their total value. Yeah. So let me put, let me just put some numbers to this just to kind of try to paint this picture. So let's say you're the associate and you reach out, you do this mail campaign, and maybe you have this experience. You've got a GPR, you've got two or three years of experience, and you find this guy, gal that wants to bring you in. But they've already have a plan. They maybe already have a lease signed, and they're going to finish out this project. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the math is this. The current practice does $1.4 million, and it has an amazing overhead of 50%. So this means the senior doctor is making $700,000. And so this senior doctor is willing to, because of this unique person, they're willing to value it before. And so let's just say the valuation comes in at a million two. So it comes in at, let's say, 85% of collections. But what's taking place, as Christy said, is we've already committed on this lease where there's going to be a four hundred dollars or $500,000 commitment for the finish up, which is standard on a 2,000 square foot, maybe GP practice. I'm going to make the investment smaller so you can see the math. The investment is $400,000. So now when you present this case to maybe the bank or to the buyer, in their eyes, it feels and seems like that if you take the amount 
the 1.2 million, and then the 400,000, 1.6, they are going to pay like 120% of collections. So their first thought in their first response and the bank and everybody else is like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, right? But you have to look beyond this and say, hey, this guy or gal I'm going to be working with is at 700. I'm immediately going to be here. He's already signed the lease. She's already signed the lease. This is where I'm going to go. We're going to work together. We're going to grow this thing. And I was already going to go there. Why would I want to take the risk on the 500 and be a competitor to him and her? Well, we can just do this thing together and take this million four and grow it. Worst case, I'm going to be making 350 out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's just like, you can't get caught up on just the value and just say that and oh, I have to pay for half of this. This doesn't make sense. You got to be able to look at the whole picture. One other thing I want to say is I'm opinionated today. I was I called you and I was like, I am so excited about this topic and thank you for <laughs> pushing it to get out today. Is the whole thing where we may value it today and we may value it tomorrow. Okay, and I'm okay with that because sometimes if me and you are in a partnership together, we may value today and we agree upon the price of, let's say, $1 million. And then if the practice does grow, it doubles, then we need to have a plan of attack in our partnership agreement, our legal documents that says how we're going to value that second half. In the young buyer's mind, they're thinking that, again, they grew this and why should you have to pay more? But in old guy's mind, it's like, well, wait a minute. We grew this together. So I should be compensated and you should be compensated for this growth. So again, it's not just the value. It's the timing and the overall picture of this deal. And I can't say enough. That's why you want to see the whole picture before you make the decision. And don't just put something again on some of these Facebook posts and sit there and say, do you think this is fair? When people don't have enough information and then 99% of everyone who responds to these are going to tell you not to do this one. I might be the 1% guy or you may be the 1% gal. This is a no-brainer. It's like I always tell people this is a deal we're not going to screw up. And if you're going to buy into something that it makes $700,000 tomorrow and you're going to be an equity partner in something making three fifty, you're the associate today making $150, unsure about what you're going to do with life. Say no brainer. I'm going to tell you not to screw it up. Yeah. And I think also the alternative is to wait and be an owner two or three years from now. Right. Right. So, I mean, in this case, the seller of the one I'm thinking about, he had promised him he would let him buy in in a certain amount of time if this is how they could structure it, which is value plus any investment. The other alternative was to wait two or three years so that the value would catch up. At the end of the day, you're going to end up paying probably roughly the same amount. So again, don't get lost in the forest there. It's so fun to do like when our buyer representations actually look at that and say, okay, let's say if you bought in today and you paid a higher amount, let's fast forward three years. Okay. And let's see how much you would have made during those three year period. Now let's say that your emotions say that I just want to wait three years or the senior doctor says you want to wait three. Let's run that scenario out and see how much you would make as the associate. And then let's just see who wins. What I love about our business is when you do these financial analysis, the performance, there's a right answer. Yeah. There is one right answer, clear winner. And I love it because it's hands down. They can see what to do. Yep. It's fun. It's super fun. Numbers are fun. It's an accounting thing I'll say all day long. One other thing I wanted to talk about today, again, another question we often get 
is what if there isn't a value? So I talked to a buyer yesterday and the seller had not had a formal valuation performed and he saw that as a red flag. Yeah. And really, honestly, I don't. And I do valuations and I think they have their place. They have their place when you're doing a partnership and the value is going to be used in a legal document to then determine your future value or it's, you know, it's a process that you guys are going to take as new people buy in or adjustments are made in your ownership. That's the place for evaluation. When someone is selling 100% of their practice, it is rare to see evaluation. I would say 95% of the buyers we work with don't have a formal evaluation performed. What is important is having a financial analysis that's very detailed, that shows you the cash flows and is transparent, lays it all out. There's a way they came up with the price. I would say evaluation is not something that you need if you are just going to buy a practice but I would say it is something that you need to make sure that your seller has a team in place, they're transparent, everything's laid out, and it's something that you feel comfortable with. The seller has basically said, hey, I think uh, my practice should be at 75% of collections, and here's some random spreadsheet that I put together. Again, yesterday, different person reviewed a deal where it was a PDF of like this odd collection of months. The formulas were all reffed out, meaning like you couldn't even tell what the numbers were, nothing was calculated, and they were trying to sell the practice for, you know, $500,000 and they didn't have their stuff together, right? Like that's a red flag, but not having a valuation is not a red flag. We don't do valuations when we list practices. Mm-hmm. And it's not for any reason other than the fact that banks don't need them. We're putting together, we're using the same methodology. It takes less time, right? We're giving you the same information in kind of a smaller packet. I just think that's something important. That so let me repeat what you just said. Banks do not need this. Correct. They're the ones taking the risk. $1 million value, $2 million price, $3 million. They do not need evaluation. We have a young lady right now that we're working with, and the, the loan is going to be about $3 million. I just sent it over to the bank, and they never once said, well, Charles, we're going to need a formal evaluation. They don't. No. They're going to need the tax returns. They'll need the profit and loss statements. They'll need doctor and provider reports. They're going to see your liquidity. They want to see what your credit score is. They want to see, can you do the work? Okay, this is the basis of these decisions. If it's a private equity group or a bank that's going to support a D4 buying a business, their fundamentals they're going to look at. It's the same fundamentals that we will look at. And I do agree that at another young man as well, I keep working with him. He's up in Boston. And Boston's one of these rare spots where these brokers up there are just saying 100% of collections. So it's an 800 collection practice and he wants 800 grand for it. And he keeps sending, the broker keeps sending me this stuff and the financials are a wreck. They're not clean. I can't tell how much the thing makes. I'm like, look, I can't tell my buyer to buy this until you answer these 50 questions. I was like, well, I don't know. We don't have to do that normally. I'm like, well, this is why it's been sitting on the market for eight months up in Boston, which is typically something that would sell really quickly. So, And I think that for the 5% of our buyers who do have valuations, let me kind of pull back the curtain here a little bit. I use those valuations when we do our analysis to maybe answer basic questions about the practice, right? Right. Fee for service, do they own the building? You know, does the wife work in the practice? To gather facts about the practice, I do not then just take their assumptions and use them as our own, like, right? And that's what someone should do is they should take the numbers and take the source documents, which is what the bank's doing. They're doing their own analysis and they may use the valuation to gather facts, right? Correct. But if I don't have a valuation, I'll just request that information myself. So know that the valuation that you have too, right? If you hire the right person, they're not just going to assume that what has been done in that valuation makes sense. They're going to do their own legwork and make sure the number's right. Yes. And you have built enough 
amazing team that does that. Our amazing. Our amazing team. So hopefully this episode has given you a little bit of insight into when to value the practice. I feel like it's going to be one we reference a lot because we get this question a lot. Definitely. So I'm going to say it again. It's really important. Value is important. Value is also emotional. And value always doesn't equal the price. Value matters, but value doesn't matter as much as your transition terms, your unique situation, what's your cash flow going to be after you buy in, when do you get to buy in. And I do think it's important that if you are in a situation where you are currently in talks with a seller and you are talking about being an associate so you can buy in in a certain amount of time, this is a conversation that you can have. It has to be had in the right way and Mm -hmm. happy to coach you on how to do that. But this is something that as a potential future owner, you should be thinking about, right? right? Because it does make an impact on you. And if you cannot have communications and clear communications with your future partner today, it's going to be really hard to have those with them later. So just keep that in mind. I have enjoyed being back in front of you today. I know we took a little time off. We put about three or four in the hopper and uh, (laughs) back to work. (laughs) That's it for today. (laughs) Subscribe to Transition Talk on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify. If you love us, rate us. It helps so much in spreading our message. And as always, like us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Have a great week. Until next time. See you guys. 